Happy are those who find wisdom and those who get understanding for her income is better than silver and her revenue is better than gold. Would you please pray with me? In the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I'll be honest with you, this is not a sermon I wanted to write, and it's definitely not one I wanted to preach. I've been doing this pastor thing for a while now, and I've only preached from the book of Proverbs one time, and it was bad. I mean, Proverbs is this overlooked and forgotten book of the Bible that is filled with nothing but these short little aphorisms that sound like something your great uncle muttered under his breath while getting that third helping of mashed potatoes last Thanksgiving. Listen to what your father tells you. Don't neglect your mother's teaching. Listen to what I say. Don't deviate from my instruction. You'll be happy if you keep to my way. If you don't listen to discipline, you're going to wander away from wisdom. Those are all in Proverbs. Every one of them. And they're good. I mean, they're fine. Because there are plenty of times in my life I wish I could just look at someone and say, Hey, if you would do what I told you to do, you'd be happy. That's a proverb. But that's not really the way the world works. And then we lift up this collection of these sayings, one of which Pam read for us. And we assume that they can speak something new and fresh and beautiful and true into our lives about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Someone once described Proverbs like this. Reading the book of Proverbs is like being stuck on a long road trip with nobody but your (laughs) mother-in-law. Now, my mother-in-law sometimes reads my sermon, sometimes listens to them. So, Terry, I love you. I wasn't talking about you. It's like being stuck in a car with no one to talk to but your mother-in-law. Happy are those who find wisdom and get understanding, for her income is better than silver and her revenue is better than gold. Years ago when I was first in ministry... I had been straight out of seminary. I was 25 years old. I was at my first appointment at my first church. And I felt like I had no idea what I'm doing. So I reached out to a bunch of the other pastors in town. I said, hey, I'm new. I want to get to know you. I want to learn from you. Some of you have been pastors longer than I've been alive. So I emailed like 30 churches. And I didn't hear a single response. So I got in my car. And I started driving around at all the churches, and I knocked on the door and said, I want to see the pastor. And I spoke with 15 of them. And I said, I want you to come have coffee with me. I want to learn from you. The next week, only seven came. But seven's pretty good. I took seven. So I'm sitting down with these seven pastors, all from different denominations, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian. And we talked, we talked about where we went to seminary, and we talked about what we had going on in our churches, and then finally I had a chance to say, I gathered you all here because I have a question. I'm 25, I have no idea what I'm doing, you all have been doing this a lot longer than me. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you have said? Thinking about everything you've been through in your ministry, all your experiences, all your faults, all your failures, Trials, temptations, whatever. If you could go back and just tell yourself one thing, what would the one thing be? And at first, none of them said anything. They stroked their beards. They twirled their hair. They looked off into the distance. And then finally, one of them said, I know what I would say. If I could go back in time and tell myself one thing, it would be this. Start saving money. (laughs) 
start saving money. Immediately, the whole table erupted with affirmation. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely the same thing I would have said. If I could go back in time and tell myself one thing, just one thing, it would be start saving your money. I mean, maybe... Maybe it was my naivete in the moment. I had assumed that they would have offered me a little more wisdom than that. Like, I don't know, what book from the Bible to avoid? Or how to pray for people who are dying? Or how to do counseling for people wanting to get married? I don't know. I didn't think it was going to be about money. But that's what it was. I wish I could have told myself to start saving some money. I'm fairly certain that if any of us encountered a genie in this life, one, if not all three of our wishes, would be for more money. More gold, more silver, more possessions, more, 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 something. And there's a good reason for that. It's the American dream. It's what motivates us when we wake up and go to jobs we don't really like. It's what keeps us up awake at night when we feel like we don't have enough of it. Money, it is so dominating. I read an article this week that if you ask young people in our country about George Washington, they first associate George Washington with being on the $1 bill and only secondarily with being the first president of our country. I mean, my three-year-old, he's upstairs in the nursery right now. Do you know what he loves? Change. <laughs> he loves change. He loves to go home and put change in his piggy bank. What is he going to do with 78 cents? I don't even know how he learned about money. It's probably one of you. Why does he need to care about money? He's three years old. But it's what we all care about all the time. It is at the heart of everything we do. You know, every week here at the church, we get about 40 phone calls from people in our community, people in our church, and they're looking for only one thing, money. I have counseled couples who brought unfathomable amounts of debt into their marriage without telling the spouse they were marrying about how in debt they were, and now they're only arguing about one thing, money. I've prayed with more people than I can count who have racked up so much credit card debt that they have to start making decisions about what pills they can afford and whether or not they can afford to go to the doctor. And it's all because they don't have enough money. And then Pam, bless her heart, she stands up here and she tells us that wisdom is better than gold. That's not to say that money or wealth are inherently bad, but Jesus does say the love of money is the root of all evil, and those to whom much is given, much will be expected. So, I don't know, be careful what you wish for, okay? Jesus talks about money all the time, and it's almost always bad. It's negative, which is not at all how we talk about money today. Money, finances, economics, they dominate everything we do. And for a weird reason, they seem to be completely absent in church. Now, I know that every week I... Ask the ushers to come forward to receive the offering of God's people. But I don't even say money. I say offering. I say tithe. I say gift. It's because we're like we're afraid to talk about money in church. When as soon as we leave, it's all we think about. Do I have enough money to go buy lunch? Do I have enough money to go buy my groceries? Do I have enough money to go buy my pill? All that stuff. We think about money all the time. But you get a reprieve for one hour every week when you come here. It's weird that we don't talk about money in church. John Wesley loved to talk about money. He's the one who started this crazy thing we call Methodism. And he wanted to talk about money because money was a problem for the Christians of his day. It was a time of major economic and social change in England. The economic inequality between the comfortably wealthy and the poverty-stricken poor was growing larger and more tenuous. The well-to-do had nothing to worry about. The poor had nothing but worries. 
The political elite got to make all the rules and have all the power, while poor people just worried about what they were going to do week to week. It's totally unlike today. I mean, totally unlike today. And then these Methodists started popping up with a message about grace. That grace was sufficient to upend and reorient and change your life forever. So Wesley started gathering with these Methodists, and he had a lot of methodical disciplines. That's why they called him a Methodist. He tried to teach people about what it meant to be not only Christian, but how to be faithful with things like your finances. And it worked. I mean, the earliest Methodists were all poor, and pretty soon a lot of them weren't poor anymore. It's because finally they were educated. They learned how to use budgets and all these kinds of things that we take for granted today. And it grieved him that money was something we talked about all the time, but we never talked about it in church. So he came up with something, a proverb of his own. You can read it on the front of your bulletin. It said, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. That's the way that Christians are supposed to handle their money. You gain all of it, you save all of it, and you give all of it. Wesley said, if you can have this threefold approach by gaining, saving, and giving, then you will be faithful to God and you will be faithful in your finances. Which, frankly, I think is a really precarious place to be in the middle of a sermon. I mean, because when was the last time you heard a pastor tell you when he or she was talking about money to say, the number one thing you have to do with your money is gain money? That's not how pastors talk about money. You know how pastors talk about money? Like this. (laughs) Like this, open hand, come give me more, come give the church more. That's not what Wesley did. Wesley said you need to gain all you can. And you need to save all you can, and you need to give all you can. I mean, it's a threefold approach. You can't have one without the others, truly. Earning all you can means nothing if you don't save at all, or save some. Saving money doesn't really mean anything if you're not willing to give it away to other people. And giving it all away doesn't mean anything if you didn't earn any to begin with. So in order to approach this, this idea of earning, saving, giving, Wesley said the thing that we actually need the most is wisdom. It's wisdom, not gold, not silver. The thing we need most is wisdom. Books, television shows, the internet, they can all tell us about how to do certain things, how to lose weight, how to dye your hair, how to change your oil. I can't really tell you how to gain more wisdom because wisdom isn't something you've learned. Wisdom is a gift. Wisdom is something given by God. And more often than not, it shows up when we least expect it. Now, when I met with those pastors all those years ago, I was at first very grateful for their witness about saving money because I started putting some money away every paycheck I got, which is, you know, thankful that's going to help me in 40 years when they don't want me to be a pastor anymore. But at the same time, I mean, it troubled my soul. That these who were called by God felt like the most important wisdom that they could ever hear was said, save more money. That same day, after being there with them having coffee in the morning, I got an email at the church that I was serving at the time. There was a man who lived in a retirement home next to the church, and he wanted to meet with me. I love meeting with people. It's fun. Especially when their names are Dick Dickerson. This guy's name was Dick Dickerson. <laughs> How could you ever forget someone named Dick Dickerson? So I went over to his house in his little apartment at the retirement home. He was 95 years old. I sat down with him. I said, Dick, what can I do for you? And he smiled and he said, I just found out that I have bone cancer throughout my body and I'm going to die in three months. 
well, Dick, I can pray for you, but I can't do a whole lot more than that, buddy. He said, no, 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 I don't even want you to pray for me. I said, why'd you call? Why'd you want me to come over? He said, I want you to get to know me. You're the new pastor. I'm one of your congregants. I'm going to die in three months, and I want to make sure you know what to talk about at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, Dick, I'll make a deal with you. I'll come visit you once a week until you die. How's that sound? He said, that's great. I'll see you next week. <laughs> so the next week, I showed up and knocked on his door. The first thing I said was, Dick, how you doing? And he said, I am blessed. Because every day is good. We talked and talked and talked. Next week, I knocked on the door. Dick, how you doing? I am blessed. Because every day is a gift. Well, one week became two weeks. And two weeks became a month. And a month became three months. And three months became six months. And six months became a year. And a year became three years. And three years later, I knocked on the door and I said, Dick, how are you doing? And he said, I am blessed. Because every day is a gift. Son and the Holy Spirit.
one God now and forever. Amen.